Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? Mr. Kelly, before you get out... uh, you, we were talking kind of during breaks and stuff like that about how wet your property is. Yeah. Are you prone to flooding? No, we're up high. We're oh. actually up on the bluffs. Oh, really? But the the there's a lot of, uh, well, karst in our area, and I don't know if that's the reason, but it's really, I mean, it's really soft. In really? Spots. Yeah, you walk and you just, your feet just actually sink in. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it, it's saturated. And no you're not question. very heavy, so that's kind of wild. Uh, I'm heavy enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you have all those muscles from that workout that's right <laughs> that's right i'm heavy but uh yeah it's, it's really really soft Ooh. so i know scary you don't even and, and this weather it's like gosh just give us some sunshine like i said the other day we were in trader joe's and there, you could see a little sun you know and the and the clerks are yelling hey there's sun out there it's like i know it's been so long just please a little bit <laughs> i know i can i wake up in the morning to take you know my stroll in the morning i mm-hmm. like to do it when the sun's coming up because sometimes it's i mean it's spectacular yeah but uh, i mean two hours later it's gone yeah it's kind of incredible yeah it is yeah. So one of these days we'll have spring i hope that's what they said the groundhog <laughs> told us punxatani phil or our local groundhog uh, i think punxatani phil oh never that's... doubt the groundhog he'll bite you <laughs> but he lives in pennsylvania yeah, not here oh well different place yes all right thanks Folks, on Saturday morning, we get together for a roundtable discussion about what is impacting your backyard, what's going on in your front yard. How about those side landscapes? How about that specialty garden space? A taste of the tropics and the houseplants. How are they doing? And why do I need potting mix versus potting soil? How can I improve my soil because I'm just really getting tired of it? And it's the plants are just not doing well. Should I be shearing? Should I be worrying? Should I get rid of those bugs and diseases now? Can I do it now? Yes. Application of something called dormant oil. It can really help control a lot of the problems that may happen. And uh, you can use the information that I'll share with you, and uh, you can orchestrate it however you want. And hopefully it will help you solidify your options And the final judgment on action is certainly going to be yours. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player in the game is Greg Harvey. He's producing, but he just ran out. So I don't... Am am I left here alone in the studio? Uh Uh-oh. What's going to happen? I don't know. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And uh, I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and uh, do a walk and talk, we can evaluate the aesthetics 
problem solve, and all those other things. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there is my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Drizzle, rainy, early morning. East on Clark, I went off Gravoy, or it's Tucker in that part of town. North on North Market. Uh, No, 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 no. I went north on 9th Street, and I ran into Market. Hmm, my favorite downtown attraction, City Park. And it seems some new lighting. I don't, you know, I go by there, you know, a lot after dark. Well, early morning most of the time, not after dark, in the evening. And I don't recognize those lights, but they really look good. They're inset off the sidewalk, so it's not the regular, like, street lights along Market. But they do add a nice kind of touch to the whole thing. Um, As I stepped out of my car, the gnarly oak leaf hydrangea with their swelling buds. They're saying, I think spring is very, very close. And they jump back and forth across the sidewalk. A skinny Japanese spirea (sighs) says, I'm really, really cold. And they're mingling with some of the ornamental grasses. A sign reminds children's safety is the responsibility of the parents. The plaza where the white globes are have a reminder, and it says, don't sit on the white globes, don't climb on the globes, stay away from the globes. So, hmm, I guess there's been some people that have gotten hurt, maybe, or maybe somebody has broken one. I don't know exactly what happened. But uh, Cascading Waterfall, about a half a block away to the east, makes some nice sound. Pinocchio cheers with his hands held high. Sculptures float all over the place, here and there and everywhere. There is a headless man that doesn't have any hands either, and he's got a suit on. Wow, what kind of sculpture is that? The stone wall bounces up and down and all around, and it's infilled with insets of blue grandma gas. Gas? No, grass. Grandma gas. No, gas. Grass. Who knows what it is? Anyway, it's a type of ornamental grass. And uh, there's a hillside of birch trees on the northwest corner. There's a man walking a dog, and uh, the dog says, hmm, he's a little suspicious of me. So I told him he was a good dog, and I said, you're a really smart dog. I'm a criminal, so you're smart to be suspicious of me. The sycamore trees and locust trees reach far and wide. The two big white rabbits on the mid-park west end really, they say, we're really getting cold. Siberian iris, along with many other perennials, are saying, wow, we can't wait for warmer temperatures. And uh, a couple joggers go by. So the rain is picking up a little bit at that time. And so finally I said, hmm, the rain is kind of making this paper wet. So I better get out of here and head up towards the station. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with questions, comments, or concerns. Cardinal Spring Training is underway. Hey, it's Chris Raby. We have all the action covered from Roger Dean Stadium and the Grapefruit League right here on KMOX. Hear my reports, mornings and afternoons, and Sports Open Live. Sponsored by American Eagle Credit Union, Wilkie Window and Door, and Norm's Bargain Barn. On your home for the best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, the temperatures are getting a little bit better, but I understand that uh, they're going to get a little colder. I don't know if it's colder or cooler this coming up week. And today, after the show, I have a meeting first, and then after that, I was going to head home and rake leaves because, you know, being on the northeast corner of Christie Park, the leaves can... I mean, it's a constant march. But then when I heard the weather forecast that we're going to have 40-mile-an-hour winds, I don't know if I'm going to bother raking the leaves today, even though it's, you know, I don't mind out there being out there and wet and everything else. It's just that 40-mile-an-hour winds, unless these leaves really get wet, we're just going to end up with a huge amount of leaves back in the yard again. So it's uh, it's a tough call being out there. Let's head to South County and go into Phil's yard. Phil, how are you today? I'm just fine, thank you. I've got a burning bush. That's close to ten foot tall. Got out of hand. Can I still cut it down this year? This year yet? Yeah, you can. Basically, anything that's deciduous and with the burning bush, for sure, you're not concerned about you know cutting off flower potential flower buds or anything else. But yeah, watch out about how much you cut. But uh, yeah, you can still prune it until I probably don't like to prune after the new growth begins. So in other words, after the buds start opening and the leaves start coming out, you can still do it then. But it's probably advisable to do it before that point. Yeah, it shows a tiny buds starting to come out now. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, they're not showing anything. They're just sort of swelling, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah, I need about cut about half of it down, I guess. <laughs> yeah, watch out, you know, because if you cut it too, ba- too far back, then there may not be any buds left on the older, bigger, thicker stems. Okay, so. okay. Gotcha, thank you. Yep, and now let's go to Jennings, and that's where Althea lives. Hi, Althea. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. All right. I would like to know what would be an easy-to-grow tree as a container plant. A container plant to stay outside or container plant to be moved inside and outside because on the of... outside on the patio. Uh, hmm. First of all, you're going to have to get a fairly good-sized container. And then, you're. I mean, you're, there's lots of different choices. If you want something evergreen, there's Alberta spruce which works very well. It's a very good containerized plant. If you want something that's going to be, let's say, a little bit more showy, uh, even, let's see, probably a redbud tree, you might try that because you're going to be bonsaiing it. But you're still going to need a, you know, a situation where uh, the pot's probably going to be, have to be at least 20 or 24 inches across for the long term. You don't have to have it that big initially, but ultimately, if you wanted to, the tree to get a, you know adequate size, you're going to have to get something about that big. So that would be how many gallons? Uh, let's see, probably ten gallons, maybe. Okay, a ten-gallon pot. Right. Okay. So an Alberta spruce, that's right. more like an evergreen. Yes, right? exactly. And then the, a redbud tree, and probably I'd get a maybe a. There's there's several other ones too. There's you could get a uh, a copper leaf beech tree. There's all kinds of different ones that you know you can grow that are not really huge, substantially growing trees like oaks and sycamores and maples and things along that line. Or if you want, to, I mean, you could even do a Japanese maple. I grew Japanese maples in the uh, in a pot for multiple years when we lived in Sulart. All right, and the copper leaf. Right. That's mostly 
Well, I assume from the name it's mostly just leaves. Right. Golden. All right, and the red bud. Right. So the red bud will give you spring flowers. Uh, you could even, if you want to be daring, you might even try a dogwood and see what happens. All right, Alberta spruce, red bud, and copper leaf. Copper leaf beech. Beech. Right, B-E-E-C-H. And if you want something that's not necessarily a tree that blooms in the summertime, you could look at something like a crepe myrtle. You could look at something like a rose of Sharon. Both those bloom in the summertime, and they're not, te- they're not trees. They're more shrubs. Rose of Sharon. Mm-hmm. All right, great. All right, good luck. Thank you. Yep. Goodbye. See ya. And now let's go out to St. Peter's and see what's going on with Mark. Mark, how are you? Pretty good. Morning. Hi. Uh, my question is, is it too early to fertilize the cool season grasses? Uh, the, you could probably do it. You might be okay, but it might be just a waste of your money. So that's the only disadvantage of doing it this early. Because if it stays too cool and the, you know we get a lot of rain or something like that, it could just sort of like dissipate it. So their fertilizer is going to be of no good. I mean, the plants can catch it. You know, as it goes down through the soil, the root systems can catch. But I would say I'd probably wait a little bit. Okay. I mean, what should the temperatures be when you do fertilize them? Well, I kind of like, personally, even though it has nothing related to this, I like to kind of coordinate all that stuff at the same time uh, pre-emergent would go down, and you're not going to be putting them down at the same time by any means, and you're not worried about grass seed. But uh, sometime when the yellow forsythia is in bloom or the soil temperatures are around 50 degrees or so, that's when you're really starting to get some really good active growth as opposed to just your lawn. I mean, your cool season lawns, I mean, they're in theory growing now, but in reality, they're just kind of sitting there. They look good, you know, hopefully, and, but uh, fertilizing them too soon, what could happen is you might cause, let's say, a slight surge of growth with the fertilizer, and then if we get a dramatic cold spell, then that could cause some damage. So, like, if you see them starting to green up, then that, that'd be a good time to fertilize. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they should be green right now, a cool season. So, but they, when you start to see some, let's say, act, more active growth... Take advantage oh, okay. of let the let the let your lawn tell you when you should fertilize, as opposed to just like kind of assuming. Well, this would probably be a good time to do it. All righty, thank you. Yep. And anybody else has questions or concerns? Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Mark, I don't know if you're still there, but what you can do this time of year is have a lawn service come out or you could actually rent one yourself get a core aerator core aerator is a machine that's going to take like wine bottle corks of soil slash grass lawn up out of the ground and you know just kind of leave them there on the surface and then put a layer of let's say a quarter to a half inch of compost over that so what you're doing with that is you're actually feeding the soil and that's going to be much more of your to your advantage as opposed to fertilizing. Fertilizing is great, but fertilizing many times is more cosmetic than it is anything else. I mean, it is essential, especially once you get a soil test done and your soil test indicates that your soil is, let's say, lacking or whatever of a nutrient, or maybe it has too much of one thing. But the core aeration, as long as it you know, can be done, 
But when a ground is really wet, like, you know, Brian Kelly was talking about his lawn and everything being super soggy, you don't want to do it then because it rips, let's say, slices through as opposed to just taking plugs out of the ground. So let's go now to Oakville, and that's where Bobby lives. Hi, Bobby. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question is just uh, apparently I've had a banner year of acorns. What can I do to prevent those all going to seed? <laughs> well, only a few of them are going to germinate anyway. So you're not going to end up with an oak forest in your yard. But, uh, I mean, you could have a, a lawn service come out and you know get rid of them that way. Or you can just rake them up and get rid of them yourself. So, I mean, but I, w- I wouldn't be overly concerned because they're not going to all germinate. Generally, yeah. they don't have a tendency to germinate if they're just laying on the surface. They have to be buried down into the ground. I mean, I've raked. Uh, I have so many, I can actually just sweep them out of my yard. <laughs> but, I mean, I have had years where... It looks like there's a forest growing, so I just did not want to have that again. Well, if it does happen, just set your mower, you know, as soon as you start seeing the leaves come up, just run over it with a mower. And once you chop off, you know, while the, let's say the, the acorn just has, it's sprouted, it only has two leaves. If you cut it off when it just has two leaves, then that pretty much kills it. All right, thank you. Yep, and now let's see if we can get another call in. Mike in South County, how are you? Hey, good. How are you, Mark? <laughs> Very good. Hey, uh, when is the best time to trim back your ornamental grasses? Uh, personally, I like to do it a little bit prior to this, but put a bungee cord around them and cut them off right now because they're just, I mean, if you don't, they're just going to get, they're going to shatter and you're going to end up with blades all over the place. There's uh, some people down the alley from me that have some maiden grass, and they don't cut them back, and those blades have been blowing up and down the alley basically all winter long. Okay. All right. That's what I needed to know. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and when I'm saying put a bungee cord around, it just kind of makes it so the cleanup is a little easier. You can use a hedge pruner or anything else, and if depending upon what type of uh, ornamental grass this is, just realize that uh, as some of them age, the clump, let's say the clump formers or clump growers, they're gonna, just going to have new grass blades coming out of the perimeter, and the center is just going to be dead and won't produce any more grass blades in the future no matter what. So ultimately you may have to dig it up, chop out the center, which is not going to produce any grass blades, and then you know put the perimeter back into the same holes. Yeah, I actually have a couple that are just like that. Ah, yeah, it's, they're, they're, it's, I mean, they're aesthetically good. You don't have to cut out the center, but just realize it's going to keep migrating further and further away from the original site where it was planted. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Yep, and Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, just a reminder about cut flowers. Probably Valentine's Day flowers. I Tracy and I, or I got Tracy a dozen, and she got me a dozen roses. And, uh, you know, unfortunately now they're kind of headed downhill. But if you do get some cut flowers, regardless of where you get them, make sure that you cut 
Make a new cut when you get them home at a 45-degree angle and then remove the lowest leaves, especially any leaves that might be down in the water. But we've had one, you know, we we don't have the full dozen yet, but there's a few of the first dozen we got, which is like almost two and a half weeks old. So it did great. And the other one uh, is probably maybe a week and a half old, and it's kind of headed downhill. But uh, it's kind of fun. Cut flowers are great. And... Uh, Especially if you can grow them in your own greenhouse. I probably don't have a greenhouse. Anyway, let's head out to Webster Groves and see what's going on with Karen. Karen, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I have some one-year-old tea roses, and they're getting a little bit uh, larger than I anticipated. And I didn't know when and how much I should trim them back. I'm afraid of trimming them back too far. Well, are you talking about hybrid teas? They're the tiny little, uh, the small... Oh, the miniatures? Yes. Okay, so basically, uh, how big are they? I mean, they can't be bigger than a foot. Uh, They are shrubbing out about three or four feet. What? Uh, They got tendrils going out pretty far. Wow. You've got some uh, very good soil there in Webster. I know I used to live in Webster. But anyway, I used to live on Yateman. But yeah, uh, basically any of them you can cut back... Kind of severely. You can cut them back uh, almost two-thirds of them off. Oh, boy. Um, all righty. But uh, what I would do is probably, rather than fooling around with doing that, because you're going to have to probably do that routinely, is maybe find a location where you can just kind of leave them alone. Okay. Um, so, in other right. words, you have, a time, you have plenty of time to move them this spring. So, if you'd like, or just, you know, do routinely pruning. But this sounds... This is not miniature roses if they're that big. Mm, okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. And uh, sounds like you're taking good care of them, too. So anybody with the roses, uh, this is a time of year where the hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribundas, the classic type roses, going into wintertime, you probably put about six or seven, eight, nine inches of mulch over the top. Slowly but surely take, start pulling the mulch back and, ex- you know, and exposing the entire, let's say, stems you know, crown of the plant and all that other stuff. So, and uh, sounds like, Karen, you should probably start, you know, just don't take the mulch back all at once because we don't know what the weather's going to be like, but uh, just start removing it slowly but surely. So thanks, Karen. And now let's go to Tom, and he lives in West County. Hi, Tom. As opposed to uh, good soil in Webster Groves, uh, I recently moved to new construction in Ellisville, uh, Rocky Ellisville. And I, and I think the only topsoil that I have is that that came, you know, with a sod. <laughs> and I've, I've see, recently seen advertised a new Scott's product called Foundation. It says Scott's Foundation Soil Improver, covers 5,000 square feet, boosts water and nutrient uh, retention, reduces soil compaction, supports microbiological activity. You ever heard of it? I have, and... Any, to be honest with you, anything that can claim to do that much, I'm a little bit weary. And I've, you know, I've been very loyal. Scotch used to buy a lot of commercials. They sent me to their headquarters and for multiple years and everything else. But I just don't, you know, something like that. You can put it down. I'm not saying it's going to be bad, but it's not going to do what you think it's going to do relatively quickly. You're going to have to phys- to- you're going to have to physically you know corrugate compost yeah. and all that other stuff in addition to be putting that stuff down. Oh yeah, I mean I don't want to put St. Louis composting out of business, but uh, 
mean, I only have a very small lot, and this just covers 5,000 square feet. I thought right. it was going to be simple for them. Again, but I would put it down after coloration, and, and I'd probably put some gypsum down and then put this down. Yeah, it probably has, you know, I mean, gypsum you may not be, even need. I would, before I started doing too much, I'd get a soil test done, to be honest. I don't think I can get a tester in my ground without hitting a rock. <laughs> Then you're never going to have anything grow there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you used to live in Ellisville. You know what I'm up against. Yeah, we we kind of lived in the cooler part, though. It was a actually an orchard area and everything else that you know so the farmer sold off. So I lived on Maple Lane between Hutchison and Strecker Road. Okay, yeah. All right, I'm off of Old State. Oh, ooh, that is rocky. We used to yeah. ride our bikes from you know from Maple Lane up over Old State. Over down to uh, you know Rockwoods. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I'll. I tried uh, uh, St. Louis composting uh, last year. I might try this this year just to be different. Yeah, never hurts. Thank you. Yep. Good luck, and it's going to be a long, involved process. It's not going to be something that happens really quickly, especially along Old State Road. Wow, that is very, very rocky. So now let's go to Jeff, and he's on the road again. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Mike, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'm an over-the-road driver. I'm home this weekend. I probably won't be home for another month. Is it too early to put down fertilizer for my grass? Uh, cool season grass, you could put it down, but somebody had called earlier, and I think it might be a little bit early because you can get it down, you know, and it can start, you know, let's say, doing what you wanted to, let's say, causing, you know, your lawn to start percolating and growing a little bit. But if we get a severe cold snap, that could do some damage to, to your lawn. So I would wait just a little bit. But uh, if you feel like you need to get it down, first of all, also make sure those numbers, you know, they aren't really high. You don't want like a, you know, 40, 10, 10 or something along that line because the nitrogen, the first number on the bag of fertilizer is the one that can cause the surges of growth. The other two, phosphorus and potassium, they're more oriented towards overall health and root systems and things along that line. But the first number, if it's really high, I would definitely not put it down. So you think a month then would be, uh, would I be too late? No, 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 not at all. So basically the cool season lawns will go all the way up until probably mid-June. That's when the heat starts, you know, making them go, ooh, this is horrible. So you've got a couple months, you know, you'd have, let's say, mid-March, mid-April, mid-May, and then to mid-June. You'd have three months of that. And then also remember that the best time to fertilize cool season lawns is in the fall. Only one application in the springtime, and that's pretty much it because you don't want that surge of growth and then faced with either a cold snap because it, you did it too early or faced with the really hot weather of summertime because you did it a little bit too late. Well, don't the, the spring treatments, don't they include a lot of the, uh, the, the weed killer stuff in it? Not necessarily. You've got to buy it with that in there. Okay, what's the best time to kill the weeds? <laughs> well, basically, for, when the forsythia is in bloom, so you're, we're talking about killing weeds as far as with a pre-emergence. So in other words, the crabgrass and those kind of things for summertime, the cool season or the warm season weeds, 
the cool season's weeds are already there if they're the, you know if they're in your lawn, and you had to kill right. those off basically last August with a pre-emergent application at that time. So there's two different times of the year to put pre-emergence down. One is in the springtime when the forsyth, the yellow forsythia is in bloom. The other one is in August, mid-August or so, and that's to kill the cool season weeds which are growing right now, henbit and things along that line. Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate the information. Well, certainly, and thank you for having me on your show. Let's get another call in. Let's go to Brenda in South City. Brenda, how are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you this morning? Very good. Good. I have a question about roses. I'm in town visiting from Dallas, Texas, um, and I have knockout rose bushes Mm -hmm. that appear to have rose rosette disease. I'm wondering if they can be saved, and if so, what I can do about that? Nope, they can't be saved. Basically, it's an internal disease, and it's spread by spider mites. And what they, you know, the spider mites, you know, are windblown. So consequently, if you have other, let's say, knockout roses or other roses, not just knockouts, in close proximity, the spider mites can be blown off the, let's say, the rose bush that has this rose rosette, and land on one that is not impacted, and then they'll impact it. So you got to get it out. If I if I pull them out, can I replace it with another set of knockout rose bushes, or do I need to try something completely different? No, no, you can put you know you can put them in there, but just you know just be conscious of the fact that you know just watch them really closely and start you know thinking about putting a miticide you know on them to kind of prevent it, and that's still not going to necessarily prevent it for sure. But once they're in there, it is, uh, it's deadly. It's all over. I mean, here in the, you know, at the arch grounds, the uh, knockout roses, they had got the rose rosette, and they pulled them out really quickly. So that just shows you even some place which has professional ground crews and everything else, they knew that there was no way to beat this stuff. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Sorry. hate to be the purveyor of doom. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm on the, like, mailing list of the University of Missouri Integrated Pest Management, and this is uh, every couple weeks, sometimes, uh, depending upon the weather, depending upon an individual circumstance, they send newsletters out. And what their newsletter, most recent newsletter was, that polar vortex that we had in late January – it set a low temperature record in 1,400 different locations. Now, that's not different locations. I mean, it could be low temperatures for that specific day, 10 different times, 10 days in a row. But what they're really saying is, watch out. In northern Missouri, it was like minus 20 was pretty common. Central Missouri, minus 11, that's pretty darn cold. And what this newsletter was based upon was, Watch out for any of your broadleaf evergreens. And I was at the house I was at last Saturday. Their boxwood definitely had winter burn on it. And these were boxwood that was pretty close to the house and everything else, but pretty much the tips on the entire boxwood. And these were healthy, been in the ground for quite a while, you know, got some winter scorch. So things like azaleas, magnolias, hollies, rhododendrons, 
the boxwood, and then deciduous trees, mimosas, Japanese maples. A lot of the fruit trees may get some damage. Any any tree or any woody plant that's been in the ground less than three years, they are saying there could be some major damage. And we're not going to know until really the weather warms up. So this was from the University of Missouri, the Integrated Pest Management. And the newsletters, you know, all it's all over the place as far as what's, you know, going on right then that they think – People need to know about. So I just thought that polar vortex thing was pretty interesting. Carol lives in St. Charles. Carol, how are you? Fine. Hi, Mike. Hi. I uh, was given a hyacinth. It's got five blooms on it. It's starting to wilt. And I have trouble with voles. If I put them in the ground, I'm afraid they're going to uh, eat the bulbs. Could I put those in a large uh, flower pot outside when it warms up? And just grow them in there. Well, they're they're going to disappear. We're talking about hyacinths that have nice fragrance to them, right? Yeah, uh-huh. I mean they're going to just. I mean they're a spring flowering bulb. So what happens is, you know, if they're in the ground outside or anything else, the foliage goes away, the flowers go away, and everything else. Well, will the, the bulbs still be okay, like for next year? They should. You know, I I have. Okay. I don't have the that type of hyacinth, but I have the grape hyacinth, which is a smaller version that I have had in the same pot for multiple years, and okay. so you should be okay. And okay. if you're if you're into Mardi Gras, the hyacinth that you have is the flower for the city of New Orleans. So Mardi Gras oh. is coming up in another couple of weeks, so you could party on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, now should I just keep them in this little pot? They're starting to get kind of wilter until spring and then put them into the big pot and put it outside? Yeah. You know, they're just okay. going to go dormant anyway, regardless of what you do. So you might as well not put them outside because you might, you might go, ooh, it's too cold. But I'm a yeah, little bit concerned. Do or anything or just kind of ignore them until I uh, transplant them into a big plot? Yeah, if the, fo- if the flower's finished and the foliage is just kind of you know, going downhill, in other words, it's browning, then they're headed towards dormancy regardless. So... Uh-huh. You you know, if you see the soil, if the potting mix they're growing in get really feel real dry, you might water yeah. them a little bit, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't do too much because you don't want to rot them. Well, what kind of soil should I put it in when I put it into the bigger pot? You should outside? use potting mix, not potting soil. Potting mix. Okay, right. thank you so much, Mike. Yep. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about my you know with the the temperatures like I was just talking about this crazy polar vortex. Because I got all these pots with the the bulbs and nothing is showing any kind of growth yet. And I expect that because most of them are on the north side of my house. So that's the colder side of the house. But consequently, uh, I'm a little bit worried because a few years ago, I can't remember exactly. When we first moved to South City from Soulard, uh, we had a winter that was nasty. And then I probably lost about half my bulbs due to freezing in the pots. Joe in Maryville, Illinois, how are you today? Good. I'm fine, Mike. How are you? Enjoy Very good. A uh, couple, couple quick questions. Is it too early to put down grass seed? Uh, yes. It is. Okay. Because it's uh, just going to, it could end up who knows where, you know, if we have okay. hard rains and everything else. So just wait until, you know, kind of when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when the temperature triggers seed germination. Gotcha. Thank you. And the second question, uh, what's your best treatment for mold? <laughs> traps to be honest yeah i mean you got to stomp stomp down all the surface tunnels and then set a series of traps and just go, you know kind of go after them 
if you're really patient, you're at home. There's been callers over the you know the multiple years that they watch for the tunnels to pop up, and then they go out there with a like a spade and pop them up out of the ground, and then chop their heads off and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> all right, yeah, there. I mean, I do have one trap, but I guess I could get a couple more. Yeah. So yeah, choker loop or Victor spear trap. Those are the best ones that you can use. Very good. Thanks. Yep. And thanks, Joe. And remember, folks, just controlling grubs does not control moles. Moles' main diet is earthworms. When they come across a grub, yes, they'll eat it, but that's not what they're going after. What they do is they hear the sound of earthworms going through the ground. That's where their tunnels lead them. And then on the way to find the earthworm, if they come across a grub or a millipede or anything else, hmm, they go, ooh, a nice appetizer on my way to my entree. So that's just keep that in mind that getting rid of grubs does not get rid of moles. So if anybody has questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And I will see you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, before Mr. Kelly gets away, look out that window there. Yeah. See how, I mean, we can barely see a block away. The fog is so thick. Yeah, fog, drizzle. Wow. Well, look, it's coming out of the building there. Yeah, I think the soldiers, the fog, yeah, like. right. Yeah. Soldier yeah. Memorial is a fog maker. Yeah. Did you make, did, did that forecast make any sense at all? I kind of got a little twisted in there. Uh, yeah. Cloudy today, maybe some sun tomorrow. Ah. Uh, yeah. Heavy shoes tonight. <laughs> Because it's going to be windy from midnight to noon tomorrow. It's going to be we're talking forty mile an hour winds. I know that's why I in opening the first hour. I said I'm not going to rake the leaves today no, because no. I'm just, you know neighbors I mean, will do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bunch of dead limbs already down in the yard. Yeah, you know I'm going to have to pick them up before I mow, which is probably what six months away. Right, but uh, but I'm going to have more. So. And you know, Christie Park has a lot of older, mature trees in it. Mm-hmm. And man, there has been some major branches come down from those trees, especially the white pines. There's, I think, a grove of, not a grove necessarily, but three different white pines, and two of them have lost some major really? branches. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so you would think that conifers wouldn't have you know that much wind resistance to be have this stuff snapped off, but it's amazing. Yeah. Forty miles an hour. You know, in our house where we're sitting and everything else, it's like. Mm-hmm. It's like <sighs> go around the windows and you can see where your house is leaking, <laughs> right? And then you can fix it so it stays warmer. <laughs> That's going to be on the Scott Mosby show later on this morning. Thank oh, it you. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> and folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. It's the tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314. 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show, where we can discuss plant selection, ups and downs related to annuals, to bulbs. Like the lady who had the hyacinth, she got for a gift, and they're great. They have great fragrance. But now she didn't know what to do. She was worried about voles eating her hyacinth bulb if she planted them in the ground. Now, how about your edibles? We head out to the ground. I'm head out to the garden centers right now. They're going to have probably seed potatoes. They're going to have asparagus roots. They're going to have uh, rhubarb. All kinds of other things. I think it's a little bit early for them to have pansies, but uh, who knows? 
Soon there's going to be ground covers. And then they are going to have house plants right now. There's no getting around it. How about your lawn? We had several questions on fertilizing lawns, cool season lawns. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, your water gardens. And I'll share my thoughts. But please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offer for you to consider or discuss. Greg's across the big board, and he's very, very busy doing all kinds of things besides answering the phone. And what he does is ask your name and where you're calling from, and that's pretty much it. And then you get on the list. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting and weekend, too, uh, where I come to your home and we can discuss aesthetic or problem-solving. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. My email address and phone number are listed. You can contact me, and I'll come over to your home and share 40-plus years of experience and how it relates to your plants and what could be different, what doesn't need to be different, or anything else. Tip of the trowel is a special recognition of individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today was the first time I can remember coming down to the station in multiple weeks where there wasn't brine necessarily put on the roads. So all those drivers that spread the brine, especially over the bridges and overpasses and stuff, which are, you know, dangerously, potentially dangerously slippery, they get the tip of the trowel because I know they're out there at all kinds of crazy hours. And when the roads could be somewhat dangerous for them because the brine is going on behind them, not in front of them, I think. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is some stuff that's spread or, you know, sprayed right in front. So they don't have such a dangerous drive. But tip of the trial goes out to all the brine drivers or the people who put out de-icers on all the different pavements and surfaces and everything else. Because, I mean, the other day we were headed up north on 270. And right before, I think, uh, Dottie Ferry, there was a tractor trailer flipped over because of the slip roads. And uh, we got stuck in traffic and it was like, oh, my goodness gracious. They were almost done cleaning up and everything else, but still, I could imagine there had been probably people that had been stuck there for a long, long time. When we started, we came in off Gravoy, and so I thought, why are these people backing up, you know, on the off-ramp, or on the on-ramp, they're backing up to get off of 270. And then I realized there was one of those electronic things that said, there's uh, problems on the road ahead, but anyway... We end up spending about 35 minutes or so just waiting, and then thank goodness they got it taken care of. But, boy, these roads, when they're slippery, it is very, very dangerous. Let's head to Connie's yard, and Connie lives in Fairview Heights. Connie, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Mike? Very good. My question today is about wildflower meadows. I'm thinking about taking a small section of my yard and turning it into a wildflower meadow. I've been checking out books at the library and reading up on it. But my question to you is, do you have any advice for me? And more importantly, do you know of any place like in the bi-state area locally where I could go to see a wildflower meadow and touch and feel more or less? (laughs) Well, if you don't mind coming on this side of the river, the Missouri Botanical Garden, Shaw Nature Reserve, which is in Gray Summit, that's basically what that is. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff as well. But, I mean, there's huge areas that it's exactly that. Okay, great. So just, you know, go to MoBot, so Missouri, M-O-B-O-T dot org, and just, you know, check out, put in Shaw Nature Reserve and find out the direction. It's just, you know, it's pretty easy to get to. It's just straight down 44. 
But it's, it's just a fantastic place. And Henry Shaw actually bought that land way out there because he thought he was going to have to move the botanical garden out there because the pollution in the city was so bad it was starting to impact the plants. But uh, slowly but surely, that got under control, and Botanical Garden stayed. But he kept the land, and now it's the Shaw Nature Reserve. Have you ever put in a wildflower meadow, or do you have any pros and cons advice that you could give me? Well, the thing is just patience. And actually, I'm going to meet with somebody after the show today, by coincidence, that uh, actually has a company. They sell seeds and stuff for what you're talking about. And so we're we're meeting. He wants to sort of like give me some insight on the whole thing. But yeah, I've I know somebody that lives across the street from me. He has a farm, you know, in South uh, East Missouri, and he puts you know meadows in all the time. Now he does it to attract turkey and deer and things like that. But I mean, you just have to be really patient and realize that it's not going to happen overnight. And second of all, if you like things that are kind of pristine and nice. It gets a little wild and rangy as far as this, the visuals. Okay. Well, thank you for your advice. Sure. Good luck with that. Yeah, thank so you. Shaw Nature Reserve is a great place to go. And now let's go to, uh-oh, <laughs> Greg's running back. Something important? News. News, uh-oh. Steve in South County, how are you today? I am good, thank you. How are you doing? Very good. All right. So I bought a house last fall, and... It's four-tenths of an acre, nice yard, but uh, about a third of it maybe uh, is in zoysia grass, very, but not, not the thickest, you know, like full, rich, lush kind of grass that you really want to see. Right. And so I want to – I've had – my previous homes have had – a couple of them have had, had zoysia, and I like it. So I'm looking at uh, buying uh, – I, I, I don't feel comfortable plugging what I have because I just don't think it's thick enough. Right. So I want to buy some plugs, and I want to know when's the best time to plant those. And um, is there any concern that I need as far as after I plant them? And I I want to keep the rest of the grass that's there healthy until the zoysia takes over. And I'm just trying to make sure I don't screw one up uh, going one way or the other. And um, that's my question. Yeah, basically, you can plant them as soon as they're available at the garden center. So that's a warm season grass. So it is not going to be available until it gets warm. And so sometimes, you know, it's all weather dependent, but it, probably not until mid-April would be my guess is going to be the earliest available. You can buy the plugs, you know, in the trays and everything else if you want. But uh, what you understand that you kind of, you know, you're going to pay a little bit more for that than if you just bought pieces of sod and did the cutting yourself. But it's really up to you. So, uh, yeah, you can plug it in with the existing, you know, in existing lawn and just don't, ex- you know, don't expect, uh, you know, it to spread overnight. But you have had a history of zoysia experience. So you understand you've probably had to, you know, put some sod in or plugs in and it just doesn't explode overnight. Like everybody thinks zoysia is that invasive. It's really not. No, this is a three, four year project before I get anything right. that's looking like a, a yard so well, you're a realist <laughs> <laughs> been, been there done that <laughs> right exactly so, so yeah i mean uh so i would just you know you can get the pieces aside and cut them or just get the trays you know i do both just you know for fun or whatever so thanks okay. steve have, have one other question sure 
Have you had any experience with raised uh, gardens? Oh, yeah. Um, so here in South County, I have, uh, I've noticed that, uh, the rabbits have been coming into my yard. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to protect, uh, a raised garden from the rabbits. Generally, you know, if you have it more than like 12 inches high, they're not going to get up in it. And, uh, if you just put a, you know, pretty much, uh, kind of an aesthetic little fence around it, that would keep them out of it. So you can make the raised bed out of like there's a composite type wood made from plastic and sawdust. That's what you know. That's what I've used for my raised beds in our South City. You know, I don't have them up right now. I have well, I have one along the alley that's still there, but they generally won't jump up. You know, on top of stuff all that much. Okay. Well, that sounds good then. Thank right. you. I appreciate it. Certainly. Good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I was talking about, the garden centers now are going to have seed potatoes. I don't know if you're into growing potatoes. But uh, for several years, Tracy really likes rhubarb, and she likes rhubarb pie. She doesn't like rhubarb strawberry mix pie. She likes straight rhubarb. So we had we had rhubarb growing. We never really got enough stalks to make a full pie, but it was some, it was fun to watch them grow. They are totally wild and crazy plants. I rotate plants in and out, so now we don't have any rhubarb. But probably at one time we might have had six or seven or eight rhubarb plants, and I just like how they look. I mean, you know, from a foliage standpoint, in the summertime they look very very tropical. And uh, this is a time of year where you can get the roots at the garden centers and get them planted. There's also onions, but uh, longtime listeners know I hate onions, so I would never buy any kind of onions except flowering onions like the Allium giganteum. But the onions, like, uh, no, not regular kind of onions. Let's head to St. Louis County and see what's going on with Bill. Bill, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I got a question for you. I have about a... 15-year-old purple lilac that is at least 10 to 12 foot tall, and I'd like to trim them down a little bit. Is it too late in the season to do that? Um, the only thing about you know pruning this time of year, it doesn't necessarily hurt them. It's just you're going to cut all the flower buds off. Okay, I don't want to do that. Yeah, so probably what I would do is I'd wait till they finish flowering, and then rather than just like kind of cutting it all down to bring it all down to size, it's... Remove the largest stalks, you know, so in other words, the largest sticks where they're coming up out of the ground. Get rid of those because those are going to have less flower buds on them than the younger ones. So just, you know, over a couple of years, just remove the biggest ones and then finally you'll get it down to the size of what you want. Got it. Very good. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, the lilacs are, I mean, just extremely striking. There's no doubt about it. So there's unfortunately one that was up the street from me on Federer. And this was a really, really spectacular lilac. But unfortunately, it was an older one. And then finally, it has actually been removed. So I don't get to see that anymore. Another one, you know, right up that street in a different house, there was a house that had a mimosa tree. And they took that one out. That's two of my, you know, 
I don't have them in my own yard, but uh, my grandmother growing up in Ellisville, she lived across the street from us. She had a mimosa before anybody even knew what a mimosa was. So, And uh, lilacs as well. So anyway, I have a family history of lilacs and mimosa. So thanks, Bill. And now let's go to May, and she lives in Perryville. Hi, May. Hi. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for your program. I learn something every time I listen. So I listen regularly. And I also enjoy your articles in the Missouri Gardener. Well, great. But that's not what I call for. Uh, I missed out on part of what you said about somebody who is interested, uh, who who has seeds. I, w- I want to put in a garden for butterflies and birds. And I have about eight acres, so I have plenty of room. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, well, I keep some of it mowed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, at one time you were talking about a person near Jefferson City mm-hmm. who, who had seeds, and could you tell me how to contact somebody? <laughs> yeah, the name, of the, the name of the company of guy that's down by Jefferson City is Missouri Wildflower Garden. So you can check you can check him out. You can also go to the University of Missouri Extension Service, and they will have. Uh, I don't know if they would have a list of people that do have this, you know, that have the seeds, but they would tell you the plants that you can use that are native. They're going to be tough and durable and things like that. And again, I hope this gentleman. I'm going to, like I said, meet with him after the show today. He's, you know, contacted me in, in, with an interest in maybe, ha- you know, having some commercial spots. So this may be something that is going to be out there for everybody to kind of hear. And uh, it's really, it looks, it sounds really great until I talk to him personally, face-to-face. Uh, you never know, but uh, that's what I'm look, looking forward to. Oh, well, good. I, I, I have been trying to get uh, butterfly plants uh, started. And I had uh, two or three that were growing really well, and then all of a sudden, they just rotted off. Really? So this did. <laughs> this was regular milkweed that you were growing? Uh, no, it's those orange plants that you used to see alongside the road. Right. It, 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 that's not milkweed. Well, it's Asclepias, so, I mean, some people call it milkweed. Oh, oh, okay. I was thinking of the other kind that in the fall opens up and has seeds that fly all over everywhere. <laughs> well, they're cousins to each other. <laughs> oh, well, what about that kind? They grow really well here. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, they're native wildflowers. So, again, get a hold of Missouri Wildflower you know, Garden or Missouri, Missouri Wildflowers and uh, just you know, do, go online. You can find it and you know, contact him. Thank you so much. Great. And now let's go to Madonna in Oakville. Hi, Madonna. Good morning, sir. Hi. Um, I have over 50 species of wildflowers, but I want to emphasize to callers the key word there is wild. Yes. No chemicals in your whole yard. And please remember that green caterpillar with the black stripes. A lot of them are swallowtail butterflies. I raise them in my own garden. And there's the lady that called in about she's researching. That's very good. There's books out there called Wildlife in Your Garden, Good Garden Bugs, Bad Garden Bugs. Remember, we got dragonflies, we got toads, we got frogs. These are all going to be at- attracted to your wildflower garden. Yes. So everything has to be natural. Please do not throw away the caterpillars that would become the monarchs <laughs> and the swallowtails. <laughs> 
Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, any kind of insecticide, you know, it can really cause some major problems because you're attracting them and then you're basically killing them because, oh, my goodness, this caterpillar is causing, you know, some major damage to the plant material. Well, that's how they survive and that's how they morph, you know, into a butterfly or a moth or all kinds of different things. And we have the dragonflies because if you have water, the beautiful dragonflies are going to come and all those different wild critters. And then, of course, I've got the birds, so I have to protect protect my birds, but I have to protect my other wildlife, too. But the thing of it is, please do your research, people. If you want to go wild, go completely wild right. and protect these things. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thanks for the insight. I greatly appreciate it. So if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. The finger. You use it every day. When you point. Oh, look at that. Explore KMOX.com. Hmm, that's interesting. Check your smartphone. Oh, text alert. And even in traffic. Hey, buddy! Tired of overexercising your extremity? Now you can use your voice. Alexa. Play KMOX. News Radio 1120 KMOX from TuneIn. Now let's go live to meteorologist. Ditch the digits. Get KMOX on demand with only one command. Alexa. KMOX News, Traffic, and Weather is now on Alexa. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you've had problems in the past years with, let's say, 10 caterpillars, scale, uh, aphids, thrips, spider mites, and beyond, this is the time of year when, a, you know, you can go out and have, you probably don't, you're not going to be able to do this yourself, but get a dormant oil spray and spray it onto all your woody plant material. And what this does, it will basically, the best time to do it is when the silver maple is in flower. You say, I didn't even know maples flowered. Well, they do. That's how they get those maple squirts. But uh, you can also check on uh, on the internet for pictures and just, or, you know, just kind of, well, just Call the Garden Highline and find out. But what it, this dormant oil does, it's a horticultural oil that suffocates insect eggs, larvae, and overwintering adults as well. So when I worked at the Botanical Garden, I had not heard of the dormant oils prior to that. So this was in the, you know, the late 70s, mid-70s, and they sprayed every February with the dormant oil. And it really helps control some of the insect problems. So let's head now to Bill, and he lives in O'Fallon. Hi, Bill. Hello, sir. Hey, uh, I'll get right to it here. appreciate your program first. Um, I have some questions. I've got them written out. Here we go. Number one. Pruning clematis. Last fall, we didn't cut anything back. We just let them die where they were, or you know, or or, or fade back from where they were. And so, uh, should I trim them in any way? Leave them alone? What? Uh, how old are they? Are they big, mature ones, or are they ones that? Um, well, it's the problem is it was kind of planted in stages. We planted some, then planted more, then planted more. But I would say that they all have two years. Some have more than that. Uh, basically, you don't have to prune them. Most of the time, people just prune. In the first year or two, yes, you do want to prune. But other than that, you can just let them go. Unless they get too wild and too rangy, then cut off the too wild and too rangy stuff. Okay. Uh, double knockout. Uh, there, was a, you know, it was, there was a big push to plant them, and then suddenly they got disease. 
we planted uh, four of them beside our driveway. What a nice little, you know, barrier and lovely when they look good. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the one of the first ones we planted is heavily diseased. I need to get it out of there. The other three are not diseased that I could see, but since I'm going to, and I'll probably have to chain them and pull them out because they're big. And so my question is, should I take them all out? Uh, you don't have to take them out until I'm assuming you're seeing rose rosette. And that's spread yeah. by spider mites. And consequently, if one close by has rose rosette, the spider mites are blown by the wind. So you can wait until you start to see it on the other ones. Or you can just kind of keep your fingers crossed and start doing a, you know, an application of uh, miticides. It's a little bit too early, but it's not, you know, at least get ready, know what you got to spray and everything else and have it. But uh, you don't necessarily have to yank them out just because one close by has had the rose rosette, but uh, they may all end up with it. Okay, but the one that has the mites does need to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Because right. it, what it does is the spider mites have it, let's say, internally in them, and then when they stick their proboscis into the, the plant, where and leaf and everything else, it just injects the rose rosette into the plant. Okay, so if I'm patient, I can check this summer, this spring, and, and see if I see those rosettes coming right. up in the other three. All right. Exactly. Last thing is, and this is a broader question, if you want, I'll hang up and listen, and that is, like so many people, Uh, My yard, my grass has never been great. It has been okay. But I want to bring it back. It seems like every summer it turns into crackers out there, and uh, it just seems to allow weeds to come in and dies back. And so how do I I fix this? How do I bring it back? Uh, You know, it's starting to get vegetation back in it again, and I've left it alone. What do I do to bring it back and make it look better than average? There's, I mean, we are just in the worst zone in the entire country pretty much for any kind of grass to do well year-round. So we're too far south for the cool-season grasses, the bluegrasses and, the let's say, the hybrid of the fescues to do well because they can't handle our summertime. And then we're too far north for the zoysas, which look great in the summertime, but in the wintertime they just turn tan and it doesn't, you know, and sometimes that can kind of weaken them. So it's just, it's a matter of routinely staying on top of it, of getting a fertilizer program if you have the cool season ones and fertilize in the fall with only one application of fertilizer in the spring and just plan on overseeding every May and every September with a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay, seed starter type fertilizer. And so that, that doesn't necessarily demand an aeration. Uh, no, the core aeration is absolutely what has to be done. Core aeration with a compost. I mean, that should be done. It doesn't have to be done every year, but it should be done probably every three years and just to help the soil and help the drainage and everything else in your soil. So is that only in the fall or can that be done in the spring? Uh, you can spring? do it in the spring. Okay. You, know, you are you are a good guy doing a good job. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, don't call me a good guy. I'm crazy. No, thanks. I greatly appreciate it. So, you know, it's good. It's good fun. I mean, the outdoors, I like it a lot. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. 
If you've ever wanted to rub elbows with blues legends at St. Louis's biggest party, then be sure to get your ticket to the St. Louis Blues Alumni Party Tent at Mardi Gras in Historic Soulard, Saturday, March 2nd. Your ticket includes open bar with beer and cocktails, lunch buffet, access to legendary blues players, and a front row view of the Bud Light Grand Parade. Be at the Lafayette Lofts on 7th and Ann from 9 to 5. Find event and ticket information now at kmox.com slash events. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've still got about 10 minutes or so left. Things you could be doing in your landscape, not necessarily right now because the ground is pretty wet, is deep-root feeding. And that's where you take the uh, electric drill with the earth auger, auger holes around your trees, from halfway out from the trunk to the drip line, that's the extension of the branches, auger holes, and then backfill those holes with compost. Really, it's crucial. Everybody in this metropolitan area knows what the soils are like. Now, some people have it worse, for sure, like the gentleman in the last hour whose house was or home was on Old State Road. That's pure rock. I mean, like he said, I don't know how he's ever going to get anything to grow there. I mean, there's a few things that can survive. But when you think these hills have been there for who knows, thousands of years, and that's all there is growing there is those kind of trees, hmm, not all that good. So deep root feeding can be done this time of year. And uh, what other things you can, you know, storm damage. We've had some really strong winds. And so make sure that if you've got dam- uh, you know, branches that are cracked, that should be taken down, and you're going to try to do it yourself, and they're long, cut them off in sections with the final cut leaving about a quarter-inch stub. So what that does is expose a cambium layer, and that consequently will help the tree heal. But uh, having a tree service come out, if you've got some a lot of what you suspect could be damaged or it could be just dead wood, getting the dead wood out of your trees is really pretty useful too because – Deadwood can be an invitation for all kinds of things that could cause problems for the tree overall health. So just realize deadwooding is not something that's just invented. It's something that's pretty darn useful. Let's go now to Chris in Arnold. Hi, Chris. Hi. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a question about pine trees, and I have a, a little stand of pine trees, like 10 pine trees in my side yard, and they're around 10 years old. And... I have English ivy, you know, that uh, ivy on the ground, mm-hmm. um, and it's real lush on underneath the pine trees. <clears throat> and the ivy started growing up the pine trees, and it's uh, it got to be too much. So uh, last year, I cut off on the bottom, as high as I could reach, the ivy, so it would, you know, die. <clears throat> and... Um, I only did that to two of the trees last year, and then on the course of this year, those trees started dying, and it was just those two trees, and the needles um, just started to clump together and, like, die. So uh, um, the one pine tree is totally dead. The other pine tree is, like, halfway dead. And now all the English ivy on the ground is totally dead also. So do I have like a fungus or something 
No, there's nothing. You know, these two things are not related. Why all this stuff is dying sounds more to me, even though these trees have been in for this long. First of all, you didn't have to cut the ivy off the trunks. The only time ivy becomes problematic is when it goes out over the branches. And so uh, ideally what you could do is rather than, you know, hopefully when you cut it off the trees, you didn't uh, basically cut into the, you know, into the bark of the tree when you cut it. So because no, I didn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. So you did not do that. Well, you no. know, my guess is it's more weather related than anything else. Why the ivy and these two pines are dying, but uh, so it has nothing to do. There's nothing that's going to impact either one of these things together like that. And uh, if the, the needles were you know pulled together or clumped together, you may have had some kind of insect, some kind of tent, you know, tent caterpillar type thing that pulled them together. But uh, it's they're not related to each other whatsoever. And why the ivy's dying on the ground, you know, they're you know that's you know it's a little bit of a mystery to be honest. Yeah, well, that's what I yeah it's, I just don't understand it. And I thought maybe there was a, like a see the the ivy on the top of the trees was so thick, and when it started to decay, I thought that created like a fungus. No, that does. It's on the exterior of the pine trees. So no, just because you've got things up in the tree which you've cut off, and that's why that's you know they're dying up higher above the cut. That has nothing to do with creating a problem for the tree in and of itself. It had to be something in the ground or something related to that. Yes, now there are, there is all kind. There's all there's a type of anthracnose which you know is devastating to a lot of the pine trees. That's why in the first pine trees in this region that were impacted was in the 50s, and that was scotch pines. Then it became Austrian pines, and then it became the white pines are being impacted. And these are pines, not spruces. And when I worked at the Botanical Garden, there was a clump of three Austrian pines together. And in one summer, two of those three Austrian pines got the anthracnose. Once it's in there, nothing can be done. And they died, like I said, within a couple months. So maybe that you've got an anthracnose situation and what, you know, this particular disease can be transmitted underground by the root systems when they grow over the top of each other if they sort of, let's say, share sap. So my right. guess is it's more along that line than it is, you know, something related to the ivy. Yeah, the, the, one, the one is uh, the Australian pine and the other one is white pine. Right. So both oh, of amazing. Wow. Yeah, all the pines, you know, look up anthracnose, you know, on pine trees and see if this looks similar to what you, you've experienced. Now, why the ivy died, that just, you know, that to me seems like more weather-oriented. And okay. what you can do with the ivy, too, is if the ivy really elongates. So, in other words, it has long areas where it hasn't been able to root into the ground. Then sure. you're going to experience where big areas, big lengths of the stems on the ground you know, all of a sudden lose all the leaves, and then you only have leaves, you know, green stuff at the end of the, the see, these stems. Right, okay. Yeah, because the, the the pine trees that I did not cut the ivy, that ivy is fine. Right. Up on the tree. So my guess, you know, again, is there's not a disease that's going to infect. The anthracnose infects the pines won't affect the uh, ivy. Right, okay. All right, well, that makes sense, Mike. <laughs> you got you know it's an unfortunate thing because these trees were just now starting to look good at ten years old. Oh yeah, right. That, and I planted them when they were only two feet tall. Right. And um, I you know I fertilized them and stuff, and uh, 
I just couldn't. I, it was upsetting to me. It's like a, such a bummer. Right. I guess I got to cut those ex- affected ones out so they. Yeah, but if it's if they do have the anthracnose, it's going to be down in the veins, of the vascular the ground, system, right. or the root system too. So that's not to say don't cut them down. You probably should, but if you replace them, replace them with spruces and not pines. Spruce, okay, right? A, like Colorado spruce, Norway spruce, all those kind of things. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for all that information, Mike. Well, thank you, and good luck with that. Yeah, it's really kind of you know disappointing when you have something it should be looking at its peak or just starting to get to that peaking point and then all of a sudden it goes downhill so well good luck chris and you know thanks to everybody for calling in today and uh after the garden hotline is over it's going to be the rick edelman show and then that's from 10 to 11 at 11 is going to be the helitech foundation repair home improvement show and then 11 45 is going to be Cardinals spring training pregame show. And then at 12.05, Cardinals versus the Miami Marlins. So all kinds of great stuff coming on on KMOX. So everybody, it's just what a wild year as I was talking about the polar vortex and what a major damage there could be. And we won't know for another couple of weeks on how much damage was done to a lot of the broadleaf evergreens, but things like Japanese maples. There may be major damage, not even just the ones that have the lacy leaves and everything else, the ones that are, let's say, the maroon leaf ones. So this was just, it's not been a good year for plant material, even though it's well taken care of and anything that wasn't healthy in the first place, the winter could have, you know, this winter, and it's not over yet, could do some major damage to it. And certainly anything that has been planted within the last three years is going to have trouble as well. So just realize that that's going to be the case. And we know that because we live in this crazy place. There's times where we didn't even have to have a coat on just a couple of weeks ago. And then two days later, it was like, who knows how cold it was. It was so cold it was unbearable. So just kind of keep your fingers crossed and stay on top of things. Stay ahead of the game like the lawn doctor says. And, uh, don't fall behind. Once you fall behind, it could be some real trouble. So I want to thank everybody who called in. I greatly appreciate it. And I want to thank you for having me on your show. And hopefully I'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.